You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. I am honored that you're here this morning. And if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we are in our sermon series through the book of Luke. And it's a perfectly fitting um, series for this season. Um, But that's not saying much because we could really be in any book of the Bible during this season, and it would be perfectly fitting, because all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ, Um, the the man um, who is perfect and yet being fully God at the same time God sent to earth to die on behalf of the sins of the world. We're going to be in verses 18 through 35, so if you have your Bible and you're in Luke chapter 7, we're going to be finishing this section of verses 18 through 35. Um, Oftentimes, and uh, specifically during this Christmas season, one of the things that that stands out to me um, often is um, how Jesus in no way fit the mold of what people expected out of the Messiah. Christmas is a, a, a picture of that. It's really a perfect picture of that, that this Messiah was very different from what everyone had expected. And honestly, this is relevant for us because oftentimes unbelief in our lives is caused by Jesus not being whom we expected. Maybe this is all new for you. Maybe you're coming into church for, for the very first time and, and you have a picture of what Christianity should look like, who Jesus should look like, what he should be like, what his word should say, and what it should mean to be a Christian. And you have preconceived expectations of who he is. Or maybe you are already a Christian and you have come in and and you have certain expectations of your life and and what you want Jesus to do in your life. And maybe he will meet those and and maybe he won't. But, But either way, what we see is that this problem that we see in Christmas, right, during the Christmas time of him being the the unexpected Messiah is very relevant for us because we indeed still hold to that, that we still look to Jesus and have certain expectations upon him. And what today is about and what I hope will happen today is that you might drop those expectations that you have established in your own mind or someone else has told you about, or maybe you've heard through the grapevine that this is what Jesus is like, or this is what it means to be a Christian, or this is what it's like to follow him. And you would look at the word for yourself and understand who he truly is. That might be a good goal for you going into the new year, that you would say, okay, I am going to commit to reading this book for myself. And I want to see who Jesus really is and what he claims about himself. And I, and I will choose to believe or not believe based upon what I see from him, but I want to get it directly from the source, right? And so what we see is this issue is that we have expectations of, of who the Messiah is, and this is not a new issue. Like I said, this is really uh, the main issue of unbelief revolving uh, around Christmas, around Jesus coming to earth. You see it in the manger scene, Luke 2, uh, two verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, that's Jesus, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him at the inn, in the inn. You see, no one expected the Messiah, the king of the world, the anointed one, the coming one, that's what Messiah means, the anointed one, the one who was going to restore God's people, Israel, back to, uh, to, back to a, a, a place in which they would be in right standing with God, ultimately. No one expected this king of the universe to be born in a manger. Certainly no one expected for there to be no room for him at any place to stay. Um, certainly he would be born of a, in, a, in a palace and there would be plenty of room and people would accept him. And, and yet this is this unexpected, humble and hidden way that the Messiah came in. He's nothing like we would expect. But what about his parents? You think about the manger, but then you think 
about the parents. And here's the story of Gabriel, the angel, coming to his parents. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, many of which the people did not even know. This was a carpenter. Mary was probably a a reserved, under-the-radar individual, and she's a virgin. They're not even married, and now this one angel comes to them and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But here's how Mary responded, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne to him, the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And Mary, you, you would expect her maybe to believe right away, but, and she does. She wants to trust God, while at the same time, she's really not sure how this is going to be possible. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child is to be, that's to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is John the Baptist that he's speaking of, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. She, didn't, she couldn't even have kids. And now she is also having a son. His name is John. He's going to be the forerunner. For nothing's impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is totally unexpected. This is the way in Jesus, which, this is the way Jesus will be born in a manger. There's no room for him on the road, traveling because their family has to go to their hometown to pay taxes. So they end up in a stable, and this is where the Son of God, the Most High, the Eternal One, who from the beginning created all things by speaking them into existence. Angels bow, right? All of heaven and all of earth know that he's the Son of God. He will rule forever. He will reign. He will defeat Satan, and we will live with him forever for those who trusted in Christ. And he's born in a manger on straw with animals. It smells I guarantee it, right? He didn't just pick the stable that didn't smell and say, this one's good enough. This smelled, it was not the place in which they expected him to be born. And also, these were not the parents. These were not the people. This was not the family that he should have been born to. He should have been born to a, to a wealthy, prestigious family who is on a throne and, and has kingdoms and rules armies. And yet, this was not how this thing went. We also think about the town. Micah 5.2, an Old Testament passage, tells us the foreshadowing that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. And look what it says about Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. This is a weak clan. This is a weak place. And this is the place from which shall come forth for me the one who is to be the ruler in Israel. That's Jesus whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. He is eternal in the past, and he is coming to be born into the world. And so yet, he is born into this insignificant town. And yet, even when he did come, people doubted that this was the Messiah because his family was not from Bethlehem. They did not live in Bethlehem. That was the ancestry of his father, Joseph. And so they're on the road to pay taxes for a census, And yet they're finding themselves in an inn in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy to where Jesus would be born, just like God said it would be. But this is one of the reasons why people doubted that this was the Messiah. Look, John 7, 40 through 44. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. That means the Messiah, the anointed one. Christ is not his last name. It refers to him being the Messiah. I thought it was his last name growing up, okay? So if you believe that, it's okay. But some said, is this the Christ? Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ is, comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? They didn't even know that he was born in Bethlehem. Because it happened by happenstance while he was on the road, his family was on the road to go to pay their taxes or to, be, to have a census so they could pay the proper taxes for their family. So we've seen the, the, the way in which he was born, the time in which he was born, the town in which he was born, the parents in which he was born to, 
And yet, what about his appearance? Is this, was this, has he met the expectations in that way? Surely he's come in big, buff, he's attractive, people want to follow this dude, right? Anything but. Because what happens? Isaiah 53, 2-3, it tells us about what Jesus looked like. What does it say? It says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was actually despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. You know the type where you just don't want to really hang around with them because they're always crying about something? This is the one in whom from men hid their faces because he was constantly burdened by the sins of the world. He was the killjoy for many, right? Because he saw reality, that the world was broken and needed a savior. This is not the Messiah they wanted or expected. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He got no esteem. That's the type of person Jesus was. Well, what about his ministry? What about eventually when he got older? Surely at that point he became the Messiah that everyone expected. Well, no, not really. Because here's, what, uh, uh, here's one account. John chapter 6, verses 58 through 6. He said Jesus comes in and he starts talking about the fact that he's the bread of life, right? Bethlehem, if you didn't know, means the house of bread, right? And now this bread of life is coming to his people to provide bread for eternal life to all people. He's coming down from heaven. And this is not like the bread of the fathers of the Jews in the Old Testament who died, right? They died. This manna was coming down from heaven. They ate it, but they still died. But yet he is the bread that will come if we eat of him, we will receive eternal life and live forever. He's telling them this. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogues as he's taught in Capernaum. But here's what happened. When many of the disciples heard this, you would expect, okay, they'll receive him. This is the Messiah they want. They'll receive eternal life. And yet they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? We don't want to hear this. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Then you would see what he's really like. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Don't believe your expectations. Don't believe what you think about the Messiah. Believe what the Spirit reveals to you through the Word of God. That's what you're to believe. The words that I have spoken to you are of Spirit and life. They're going to give you life. My words will give you eternal life. Drop your expectations and listen to what I'm telling you about myself. My words will give you life. This is what he's saying. But there were some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus said, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, look at what Happen. This is not the Messiah that they wanted. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He was not what anyone expected. He was a carpenter's son. He wanted, they thought he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel to political rule over the Romans. And that that would be the end of his reign. That that would be good enough. And Jesus is saying, I have much more planned than just restoring you back into the powerhouse of the world and overthrowing the Romans. But he was not what people expected. Actually, this is how his ministry went. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth and he was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. He was like a sheep that is before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, the reason why Jesus came to earth was to die. He was born to die. We celebrate Christmas. We can't detach it from the cross. The very reason why Jesus was born on this earth was to die for your sins. That's the only reason why it matters that he came. And yet this is not what they expected. You mean the Messiah is going to come to earth and he's not going to rule in the way in which we want him to rule? Instead, he's going to willingly go to the cross and suffer the punishment that we deserve on our behalf, the wrath of God, all on him for all of our sin, past, present, future, so that we can receive eternal life and be with God forever? Yeah, that was the plan, but no one expected that to be the plan. 
And so we see the cross. They didn't expect this. They said, if, if you're the Messiah, listen, here's what you should be able to do. You should be able to throw yourself off this thing. Look, Mark 15, 29 through 32. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you, Jesus, the Christ, right? Who says he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, not knowing that he was speaking of himself, that he indeed was going to raise from the dead in three days. He is, they're saying to this, to this Jesus, this Christ, who, who claims to be the anointed one, the Messiah, if you're really him, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Let's see you prove it to us. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, right? He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we might believe. Prove it to us. Because you don't look anything like the Messiah. And the whole time, Jesus knows his plan and has love in his heart for this people who he desires to save. You see, Jesus didn't want people to follow and know him because he met their expectations. He didn't want people to follow and to know him because he became everything that they wanted him to be. You see, we oftentimes don't even know what's best for us. If you want to be the one who sets the standard for the Messiah, the God of the universe, the king of the world, that's a pretty weak God because he only can go as far as you can imagine. You don't want to be the one who dictates who Jesus is. That would leave him bring, being pretty impotent. He is who he is. Remember when he told Moses? I am who I am. That's who I am. Well, wait a second, who are you? Right? I am who I am. Who I am, that is who I am. Who I and truly am. And I've revealed that to you in my word. That's who you should believe in. You see, for no other reason does Jesus want you to believe in him. Not because he meets your expectations. Not because he's the God that you want. Not because he gives you all of your treasures. Not because he serves all of your idols. Not because you can have him and the life that you always wanted and he'll serve it for you. Not because he is, he's greater in the way in which you want him to be greater in, in in regards to serving everything for you. But that's second best. Listen, he wants you to love him and to know him because of who he is, the person of Jesus, not the products. And to drop the expectations and to see him for who he is. Listen, this is the Jesus who has a loving heart, who came to save sinners, who called the broken and the sick and the weak and the helpless back to their God. He wants you to fall in love with him, not because of his earthly image or his earthly wealth or his earthly political power or his earthly popularity or his earthly prestige, but because this Jesus is truly the Son of, the God, of God. He's the treasure of the universe. And all of you who want nearness to God and reconciliation with God, he will provide it. He will provide for you reconciliation with the God of the universe. Your sins can be forgiven and you can have eternal life forever with, with God for all of eternity where you can gaze upon his beauty and he receives you and you are pleasing to him. Because your sins are forgiven because of the work of Christ. That's what you get. At his right hand is, is our pleasures forevermore. Joy unimaginable because you are in the presence of the most satisfying thing that you could ever receive, namely God himself. And even now here on earth, he will give you life and life abundantly. It might not meet your expectations, but it will far exceed them. And this Jesus is the one who has come and to call you into this relationship with God. You see, the reason why Jesus has come, 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, for the unrighteous, that's Jesus, for us, for here is the purpose, that he might bring us to God. That's the, that's the reason for salvation. Your eternal life not going to hell is not the end, right? The end is that you would be with God. Your sins being forgiven, that's not even the end. That's a means to the end. Your sins needed to get out of the way so that the end could happen, which is you being with God. That's the whole purpose of why Jesus has come. So in many ways, listen, these, 
the season. It points us to the fact that he is the Messiah that we need, and yet oftentimes he is not the Messiah that we expect. And what Jesus is calling you into is into a place where you would truly believe in who he is because this is who he says he is in his word and has revealed to us. Even if he doesn't meet your expectations, even if your circumstances don't change in the way you want them to, even if he doesn't produce the results that you want in your life, and even if your own wisdom determines that this isn't the way that it should go, that you would surrender those expectations to the truth and believe and follow him, the unexpected Messiah, though fully anticipated, not the Messiah that anyone would expect. And Jesus is calling you into belief that you would receive his message, accept him, and so receive eternal life. And I pray that you would. I really pray that you would. And you see, as we move into our passage, listen, this is what Jesus has been trying to do with these people. Before we read, let me tell you, the same situation, you can take comfort in the fact that John experienced the same struggle. John, who was Jesus's what? Cousin, there you go. He was born for the purpose of showing people who Jesus was, is. And yet, even John, in a moment of maybe questioning and doubt while he's in prison, begins to wonder if Jesus really is the one who was to come. Why? Because as we've read, and you'll see it once we read the whole passage again in just a moment, John was in prison. The results of Jesus' ministry were not what anyone expected. People were following him. There were crowds, but he was rejected. He was being, people were planning to kill him. And yet at the same time, John had these messianic expectations, as did everybody, that Jesus would rule over Rome. He would restore the political power of Israel back to a position of, of power. And yet Jesus responds to John and says, listen, John, I know all of the expectations that you have. But look at the scriptures. Look at what Isaiah says about the coming one, the Messiah. I have fulfilled all of those expectations. Essentially saying, I am the Messiah. Look to the truth about who I am, not to your expectations. And so he points to this. He says the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have been given life. That's what it says about the Messiah, and that's what I have done. I am he. Blessed are you when you believe this, even though I'm not the one who everyone expects. You see, Jesus is aware that his message is difficult, and it's hard for some to accept. Partly because Jesus did not fulfill the expectations. But he's calling them into belief, into who he truly is. The second thing that we saw in our passage, after we've seen the identity of Jesus revealed through the questioning of John, is we see the identity of John. Now listen, these two things are really important, and they, 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 they fit together perfectly because, listen, Jesus is showing that he is the Messiah. The Messiah is here, right? Like we see across the spectrum of time, starting in the beginning all the way to the end, Genesis to Revelation, and even before that and after that, eternity past to eternity future. The Messiah is now on earth. What are the the state of affairs with him being on earth now? Well, the state of affairs are, are unbelief, rejection. That's what's happening. And Luke is showing this to us. And we see the first picture of that with John being in prison, questioning, are you really the Messiah? Jesus then reveals his identity through showing him the scriptures in Isaiah. And then Jesus once again reveals himself through now the identity of John. He says, I'm the Messiah. Why? Because John was actually the forerunner. This is the forerunner, the one who it was told about, right? We saw the scripture from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. John was this forerunner, this messenger, and he is telling the people, listen, if you did not believe John, then you are not believing the truth, because John actually came to tell you who I am. 
And so he's revealing the identity of John once again so that they would believe his message. And yet they don't believe John either because he is not the forerunner that everyone would expect. And so listen, he is pointing to these people to the fact that they are, he wants them to believe despite their expectations. John has come to show this truth. Jesus has come as truly the Messiah. And yet these expectations are preventing people from believing. Here's what happens. He says that the lowly respond, the tax collectors, the people. They respond in belief and they say God is just for sending this type of Messiah. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they reject this truth. And they walk away believing that Jesus is nothing more than a power-hungry, maybe fictitious religious leader. And so as we see all this, I'm just giving you this, these points for review. In this third section, what we're going to see, and we're going to read and you're going to see it, is we're going to see the reason why these people are not believing. Simple as that. Okay? We see the rejection of Jesus. We see the rejection of John. And now we see why. Okay, now we see why. The Messiah is here. What's the state of affairs? He's being rejected. Why? Why is he being rejected? And I think once again, Jesus is calling you into belief. I know he's calling you into belief. But I think we might all too well relate to the reason why these people are rejecting him. And rather than it condemning you in the sense of, of of you just leaving feeling bad about yourself, which you might, just forewarning you, okay? I want you to see the reasons why they're not believing. I want you to maybe see that you might fit all too well in this story. And I want you to, to ask God to change your heart. That even though Jesus is not the Messiah that you would expect, that you would receive him for who he is. And so receive eternal life. So again, the Messiah, the identity of Jesus, the greatness and identity of John and his message revealing that Jesus is the Messiah. Yet rejection. Why? Let's read and we'll find out today. Verses 18 through 35. Today we're only covering verses 31 through 35 in our passage. Ready? The disciples of John, verse 18, Luke chapter 7, okay, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So stop there for a second. Remember this. Verse 17, Jesus just got done raising somebody from the dead. Right? Like, an easy task. Okay? This, this word goes out for him. It is, right? This word goes out, verse 18, John the Baptist, his disciples, they hear about this. This has got to be the Messiah. He's raising people from the dead. They go to John, verse 18, verse 19. Once they get to John, John says, man, maybe he's not the Messiah. And we ask, what are you talking about, right? That's the, clearly the opposite thing that you would expect from John. But John had certain expectations of the Messiah, and Jesus was not filling them totally. And so even though Jesus had done these things, now they're asking themselves, is this really him? Is this the anointed one? Verse 20, when the, man had, when the men had come to John, they said, John, uh, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you. So now John's messengers are going to Jesus and they're saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? They're questioning. Even though you've raised people from the dead, you're not over the Roman rule. I'm still in prison. The results are not what we expect. Are you truly the Messiah or is there somebody else? Because you're not looking like what we expected, right? And in that hour, though, while they're questioning him, verse 21, Jesus had healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed the sight, which was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, verse 22. So Jesus responds to John saying, don't look at your expectations or your circumstances. Look to the fulfillment of the scriptures, verse 22. He says, go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, 
The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached for them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. I'm the Messiah, here's the proof, and blessed are you if you believe, even though I'm not who everyone expects. That's what I'm calling of you. This is what I want. Okay, so he goes. John's messengers, verse 24, they're like, well, that didn't go too well. So let's go tell John what he said, right? And after he goes, they go and tell John what he said. Jesus actually commends John the Baptist for his faith. And in this, he looks to the crowds. He's about to, as we see this, he looks to the crowds and he says, listen, don't wonder about whether or not John believes. Whether, wonder whether or not you believe. Because you have heard John's message that I'm the Messiah, and yet you, for the same reasons, have rejected me. Now he's looking at the crowd. Verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds, see that? Concerning John. And here's what he says about the identity of John with all points to his message, John's message, which all points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. What did you go out in the wilderness to see, people? When you went out there to see John, what'd you go to see? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Of course not, right? You didn't need to go out there to see a reed shaken by the wind. What then do you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Of course not. Behold, there are those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury and in king's court. So you didn't go out there to see that. What then did you go out to see, Jesus asked? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. That's what you went out to hear. The word of God from John. And this is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and he will prepare a way before you. So this is the one you went out to see, to hear his message, John the Baptist, who is telling you that I am the Messiah, and yet you still have not believed. Like, why'd you come to church? This would be the equivalent. Why'd you come here today? Why'd you come? And yet you've heard it plainly, that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet you have still not believed. What's it going to take? This is the equivalent of what he's saying. You went out to, what would you go to see? Did you just come today to, to grab the coffee? Well, of course not, because you could have had coffee at home. Right? Did you come here to just be with your family? Well, of course not, because you could have been with your family at home. What would you come to hear? And yet you still didn't believe. So now he's turning to the crowd and saying, don't look at John's expectations not being met and therefore him questioning. Look at your own. And this is what he's referring to. Verse 28, he says, I tell you among those who are born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He's saying, listen, John the Baptist was great. I just commended him, but yet the real reason why he came was that you would believe and so become in the kingdom of God. That's what really matters. So now, what we see in verse 29 is a response. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Some said, God, Jesus, you're the one, you can be whoever you want, we believe. You're just and to do whatever you want, we believe. Others said, we don't. Verse 31, here's our verses for the day telling us why this rejection happened. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? Okay, so he's gonna ask a question of what these people are like, and he's gonna answer it, which is gonna reveal to us why they don't believe. They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. It might have even sounded more whiny than that. Like, okay, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. Right, like this is what Preston says to my daughter, or my daughter says to Preston or whoever, you have children of your own, right? Like you did, we did this for you, you didn't do what I wanted you to do, right? This is their whiny. And he explains why, verse 33, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. What is he saying here? Stay with me because we're about to walk through this text, okay? If you have your Bible, now's the time. We're going, we're, we're gonna punch through this thing, 
Okay, this is how you're going to stay with me. So keep your eyes on it. He's telling us why unbelief is occurring. He's exposing it. Okay. We start up in verse 29, even though it's not part of the section. It gives us insight. There's going to be three things that give us insight into what he's referring to in verse 31 and the following. The three things of insight are, first of all, that we see a word that is not there in the Greek. Now you might say, okay, now we're really getting technical. Well, let me just help you. It's not going to be that technical, but it does, it, it's important and it helps us. In verse 29, when it says, all the people heard this. See that? When all the people heard this, well, in the Greek, that word this doesn't exist. There's no object in that sentence. Okay, so that's what the rendered, the best, um, you know, rendered uh, uh, translation is. But there's no object there. And so what that essentially allows us to do is wonder whether or not he's referring to this, meaning the message he just gave, or he's referring to him, meaning John the Baptist, since he just referenced John the Baptist. Take into account that on earth there's no one been greater than John the Baptist. And when the people heard him, they rejected him. They didn't want to be baptized by him, right? So it could be referring to John's message, or it can be referring to what Jesus had just said, which either one confirms what we've been talking about in this whole sermon series, that what these people are doing are rejecting both John and Jesus, right? What this does is it helps us understand that this vagueness is probably there on purpose. Like Luke could have easily put an object at the end of that sentence or in the middle of it. And yet he doesn't, which promotes vagueness, which allows us to say, is he talking about Jesus or is he talking about John? Well, the answer is, it doesn't really matter which one he's talking about because the reason why these people have rejected Jesus, the reasonings he's about to give, right, rest on the fact that they've both rejected John and Jesus. And that's what he's illustrating here. You haven't believed. No one's met your expectations. The forerunner or the Messiah himself. And so there's a vagueness there. This is giving us insight once we get down to verse 31. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see that's really, really helpful for us is that we see who rejected. Okay? This allows us to see who he's referring to in verse 31 when he gives the reasons of why they rejected him. Okay? So who rejected him? Was it the people and the tax collectors? No, they believed, right? It was the Pharisees and the lawyers. So this time frame, there are religious leaders, Jewish people holding to the law of the Old Testament, thinking I can earn my way to God, be righteous um, by my works, and God will receive me because I've earned my place, right? I've held to the lawyers, same thing. And so these are the people in whom he's referring to when he's talking about the, this generation. It's a specific time period. These people are right out of the Old Testament. The law is fresh. They are trying to abide by it. And these are the people who he is referring to as not believing, right? This helps us to understand some of the reasons as to why maybe they're they're, they're, they have unbelief. What's getting in the way? This gives us clarity. It's not the lowly, the tax collectors who know they're sinners, who need forgiveness of sin and want to repent and want to change their lives. It's the ones who, are, who think that they're good on their own. This gives us insight. So the Pharisees, they were not priests. They were the Jewish religious authorities who promoted strict adherence to the the Mosaic law, that's the Pharisees. And the lawyers are not like the ones you see in court, okay? They're not hold, holding, the, uh, holding up the, the rules and regulations of the United States of, of Israel, okay? They are, what they're saying is, these lawyers, right? They're giving themselves over to the law of God. They're very good at understanding the minutia of the law, without ever coming to grips with its essential message. Which, by the way, just a side note. My, my prayer is that because we teach the Bible, 
try to at a high level that you would never become a legalistic Christian like these people were, that I would never become like this. You understand the minutia of the law and yet oversee the essential message that Jesus has come to save sinners, right? That's always a fear when we, when, when we try to be very faithful to the Lord, we can move into a place of self-righteousness. And I, my prayer is that we never become that. But this is what's happening. So listen, these are the people who are rejecting Jesus. The Pharisees and the lawyers, the ones who hold to the law, the ones who think they can earn their way to God. And what is happening here, what we've seen already, is that they're rejecting both Jesus and John. Now there's one more piece of insight that gives us help as we move into verse 31, and that's this. We see what the people who did believe said. The tax collectors and the people, they declared God what? Were they just? So what they said, when they believed, listen, when they believed, here's what they said. God, you, you are just, you are, you are able, you can do whatever you want. If this is the Messiah you have sent and this is the message that you proclaim, we're taking it, right? Which gives us insight into the fact that the Pharisees are the ones who didn't say that or said the opposite. Jesus is not the one we want. You are not just to send this kind of Messiah. He is not who we want him to be. We sh our expectations should be met. Therefore, it is just that you give us what we want, not who he, he is. And so now as we move into verse 31, here's what we have understanding. And then we can fly through this. Hard part's done. They're not believing John or Jesus' message. The religious leaders who think that they can earn their way on their own. And they have a problem with this because he's not the Messiah that they expected. All right? Ready? Verse 31. Stay with me. Jesus responds to these people's rejections. That's who he's talking about. We just established that. And here's what he says. To what then shall I compare this generation? And what are they like? So he's about to give us an illustration, okay? Verse 31, he says, in light of this rejection, in light of their rejection of both John and Jesus, and in light of the fact that they say that just God shouldn't give us a Messiah like this, what should I compare this to so that I can expose their unbelief? What would be a good comparison? It's a rhetorical question, right? Because he knows the comparison he's about to get. And here's what he says. The people of this generation, what are they like? Now, when you see the word generation there, what is he referring to? We already know it. Those who are keeping to the law, who are rejecting both John and Jesus, and who have said this is not the Messiah that we want. That's a particular time period where that stuff is happening. This generation. Well, afterwards, he says, here's what they're like. Okay? And what does he say? He says, they're like children. Okay? Now, if you read this quick, you might skip over maybe a detail like that. But I encourage you to ask those questions. Why does he put children here? Well, it, it's not real difficult. It's, they're acting like children, right? And it starts to give us a picture. They're not acting like children like in a good way. I love our children. We have a lot of them in the other room. I have too many, just kidding. I love all three of my children. They're crazy. We have, we, we love our kids. And Jesus, in, in one sense, says he wants, remember when he said, I want you to receive me like a child would. Remember that? Well, what does that mean? Like, by faith, trust me, you might not know the end of the story of how I'm gonna take your life, but receive me with childlike faith. He's not referring to that good side right now, Okay? He's referring to the other side of the child that is maybe not so convenient, okay? And what side is that? Well, it's a side that is usually upset when they don't get what they want. You're like children. Pharisees, lawyers, you're like a child. 
you're not getting what you want, and so you're not believing my message or John's message. And you say that I'm not just for sending this kind of Messiah. You're acting like a child. Now, we love our children, once again, okay? Someone's going to say, Sam hates kids. (laughs) I love our kids. And what are the children doing? Well, the children are sitting in a marketplace. Why a marketplace? Well, I think because a marketplace is where children act like children, right? So, like, this is exemplifying this characteristic of a child to a great degree. Child, children maybe have a little bit more reservedness when they're maybe in their home with mom and dad. I don't know, right? That might not be true. But when they're in the marketplace, that's where children are acting like children. And so you're starting to get the picture. This is why people are not believing. They're like children. They're sitting in the marketplace. They're acting like children. They're not getting what they want. How do we know that the main emphasis is that they're not getting what they want? Well, he gives the song of what these children are saying. And many scholars believe this is This is a common children's song, a couplet that was apparently used at this time when maybe children are not, other children are not joining the games of the other children. And these children are saying this. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. They're calling it out to each other, right? We played the flute, why didn't you dance? I wanted you to dance. I'm playing the flute, you didn't dance. Mommy, daddy, they didn't dance. I was playing the flute. They didn't dance. I sang a dirge, which is wailing a lament, like the opposite extreme. They're trying whatever they can to get the people, the other children, to do what they want them to do. They'll go from one extreme to the other. They'll play the flute, which is synonymous with happy, right? And yet they'll also wail a a lament. I mean, they're trying whatever they can to get those other children to just do what they want them to do, and yet they're not doing what they want them to do. These are the children that Jesus is referring to, right? And so they're calling out in the marketplace and they're saying this and Jesus is comparing the religious leaders of the time to this. If Jesus was alive, I don't think anybody like, would really want to come to his church, right? Like, I mean, he would because he would change their hearts through the Holy Spirit, I know, right? But like, like, he would, I mean, he brought the, the heat, right? And he didn't apologize for it. He's comparing these people to them, or to them, to these kids. And the reason why he's giving that comparison is found in verse 32 in the following, 32 through 34. For, notice that word in verse 32, for. Circle it, underline it. What that is saying is, here's why. I make that comparison, right? For, here's what you did that would move me to a place of the reason why I'm comparing you to children in a marketplace who are upset because they're not getting what they want. Don't believe in my message or John's because I'm not who they want me to be and are therefore rejecting me, right? He says, here's the reason. For John the Baptist, let's take him first. He came eating, I mean, he came eating no bread, eating no bread, drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. Here's why I use this comparison of these children. is because John the Baptist, first, you didn't believe him, right? Which further clarifies the fact we got the first two right. He's now showing why they didn't believe in the identity of either one, right? He came eating no bread, he was an aesthetic. He, he, was, he was the one who held to Nazarite vow, drinking no wine. He ate locusts and wild honey. Like, that was John the Baptist, okay? His church wouldn't probably grow very much either, okay? People wouldn't want to follow him either. Why? Because he was extreme, sold out for the mission. No other things that he needed in his life. He'll eat bugs and eat wild, uh, eat wild honey, and he's drinking no wine, right? Which if you remember in the beginning of Luke when the angel came and uh, told his father that he would have, they would have a son, this was the command, and he was upholding it, right? He was H2O all the way, right? Locusts, wild honey, 
water, dressed in camel's hair, and that's who John the Baptist was, okay? And they rejected him, right? We can see this, Mark 1, 6. Now John was clothed in camel's hair, he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, right? So this is who he is. And the key thing is, is that what we see in this verse, verse 33, is that John the Baptist was this man. This is the reason why Jesus is saying, you are not satisfied. We, I am not making you happy. You are not getting what you want, which is why you're not believing. He says, first, here's the reason why I'm using that comparison, is because John the Baptist came eating no bread, drinking no wine. He was set apart for the cause, for the mission of being the forerunner of the Messiah. And you call him one who has a demon, not simply because of who he is and what he's done, but because you didn't like his message. This implies that they were not only rejecting the person, but they were rejecting the message. What was the message that John mainly preached? You guys know it. What is it? Repentance. You didn't like his message. That you have to repent of your sins. That you have to turn away from living for yourself. That you have to make somebody else the Lord of your life. That you actually have to follow what his word says and not your own version of Christianity. That you actually have to be committed follower, to read his word, to love him, to share your faith, to be in a church family, to actually turn away and fight sin. You didn't like the message of repentance, so you turned away from John. And John came to save your life. John 3 In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. Not only did they reject John, but verse 34 then, he says, you're like children who just don't get what they want because you rejected John for some reasons. And now let me show you, you also reject who? Jesus. And he did the the exact opposite of what you were upset about other than the message. Verse 34. But the Son of Man, he came eating and drinking. He's referring to himself now. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of, friend of, friend, <laughs> a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I'm trying to relate to all my country folk. Friend. And so listen, Jesus comes. He does not set himself apart in the way that John does. Say it with me. Instead, the message is, of course, of repentance, but it's also one of forgiveness for sinners. He's eating and he's drinking with the sinners. He's spending time with the lowly whose sins are ever before them, with ordinary people, to save ordinary people who have sin that will set them apart from God forever. He doesn't separate themselves, himself from them the way John did for a reason. He, he goes and he sits with them and he eats with them and he drinks with them because he wants to save them. He loves them. He's with ordinary people. He wants to save these ordinary people, so he spends time with them. These are the people who Jesus spent time with. The lowly of heart. The ones who have messed up pretty bad. The ones who know that they need forgiveness. And yet, as he does... They got a problem with that too. This is not the Messiah that I want. He's a drunkard. He's a glutton. Can you believe who he's hanging out with? I mean, it just doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what the message is. They're just unsatisfied, period. They're not gonna ever believe John's message or Jesus' message because the religious elite or whoever it is, could be you, He's just not the Messiah that you want. God's not just for doing it this way. 
He should have done it like this. And who is God to tell you that you're a sinner? Who's God to tell you that you need forgiveness? Who's God to tell you that you need salvation? And who is God to tell us that it's only through Jesus Christ that that occurs? Well, I don't know if you'd be satisfied with any other message either. Jesus is calling you to believe. To believe. To receive Jesus as he is. And to follow him. I love you ever seen the movie The Chronicles of Narnia? I love when it refers to Aslan the lion and, and they refer and they say that he's not safe, but he's what? He's good. Jesus is not going to fit into the box that you would expect. He's not safe. He's the king of the world. Even the demons hear his name and shudder. But he's good, and he's truly the son of God, and he came to save you. Surrender your expectations. You won't be satisfied either way unless you just receive his message. This is who he says he is. At the end of this passage, in verse 35, he commends those who have believed. And he says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And what he's saying there, if you look at the word justified there, it literally means, this last thing we'll say, we'll be finished here, is declared to be just. The same thing that the tax collector said in verse 29. God is just for sending this kind of Messiah. Wisdom, ready, is justified. The right thing, the way in which it really happened, the right God, the true Messiah, is declared to be just by those who are children of wisdom. If you're truly wise and you will look at this plan, this plan of God to send Jesus, the Messiah, to earth to die on your behalf and you will say, this is the right way. This is right. God, you are fully just in doing this however you want. And I'm going to take your truth and I'm going to submit myself to it and believe and so receive eternal life. And yet it also can be taken the opposite way. And yet wisdom, maybe even false wisdom, is also justified by the children of false wisdom. So if you do not believe, you'll probably figure out a reason as to why it's justified that you don't believe. You already got one in your mind right now. Well, I know he's saying this stuff. It's not true. Here's why. It's the same thing that these people did in the scriptures. And as we close, I want to call you. This is not to condemn you, to put your face in the dirt, and to leave you there. That is not what God is doing. But he wants to get to your heart and he wants to call you this Christmas season into belief. He might not be the Messiah that you expect or that you really wanted, but he's the one that you need and he's truly the son of God. If you would find him in his word and maybe declare 2020 the year in which you really see who Jesus really is by reading the word yourself, maybe you'd find him to be the Son of God. And maybe you believe and so experience life in His name. He loves you and He wants your sins to be forgiven and He wants you to be with Him in relationship forever. Believe. Let's pray. Father, we come before you through Christ and we want nothing else but your word. I just pray by your grace, that people would believe. I just pray that those in this room who don't know you would believe. And I pray those who do, who are wrestling with any form of unbelief, would take you at your word 
and believe. So their faith would be full and they would follow you. We need you to do this great work because in and of ourselves, we are just like the Pharisees and the tax collectors. We have every reason under the sun why we don't want to believe. But the truth is we're never satisfied. You're never exactly what we want. But just because you're not what we want doesn't make our expectations right or just. You're right and you're just. You're true. Your word is true. You are God. You are the Messiah regardless of how we respond. So I pray that we would respond and believe in all areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.